Uh, we're in the second letter uh, to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and the series is called, What If I Were an Adult? In a part two, because we did a part one a few years ago in First Corinthians. And in this passage, today we're actually looking at one of the foundation passages for this mission statement we have, Experiencing God, Reflecting Christ. And, and Mike's going to be preaching next week, and we're going to be talking about this as well. But uh, uh, chapter three begins with Paul comparing the old covenant or the law that was given through Moses and explained in the Old Testament with the new covenant, uh, which is explained in the New Testament, which comes through Jesus and involves, you know, the rule of Christ in our lives. And so instead of following the law, we follow the rule of Christ. And he just compares the two. And uh, and under the law, we end up dying because no one is able to live up to the law. No one can do it. Not even the Jewish people. No one can do it, so we die. But in the New Testament, we end up living because now we live because we're saved by grace. It's a gift. And instead of having us to follow rules, we follow by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's just kind of it. But we need to learn to do this on a daily basis. And this gives us a powerful, empowering hope to fully experience God in the future. And this hope allows us to reflect Christ. So with that kind of introduction in mind, let's look at, you know, in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 7 and 9. Paul says, Now if the ministry that brought death was engraved in letters on stone, if it came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious. And then he goes on in verses 9. And verse 11 says, If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory, that, uh, the glory of that which lasts? So that brings us to the first part of the passage I want us to look at today. Okay, now I'm going to explain all this. In chapter, in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So let me unpack this for you because it's really kind of interesting, even if it sounds a little confusing. And, and, uh, and so we're going to talk about, it's about glory. We're going to talk about what glory is in a second, okay? But because of this hope we have for a future glory, we have this hope that inspires us, that motivates us, that, that changes us. And, uh, and because of this, we can be bold, or I would use the word confident. How many of you could use a little confidence? And then you get a little, how many in this life are losing your confidence, losing your security, wondering if things are going to work out? Well, Paul is saying, because we have this hope of glory, we can be confident in this life, no matter how crazy it looks like it's getting. And it's looking kind of crazy at times, right? And so we have that. Well, Paul, to illustrate this, draws an analogy from Moses. In the Old Testament, Moses was the one who went up on the mountain, had a one-on-one conversation with God, and came down with the stone tablets. 
And then Moses was the one that would go into the tabernacle, which was kind of a portable temple out in the desert. And when he, he would have this one-to-one -one conversation with God. He was as close to God as a man could get without vaporizing, okay? And he would talk to God, and God would talk to him. Then he'd go back to the Israelites and tell them what God said. But here's the thing. When Moses came out from talking about God, he would glow, literally, physically. I mean, you know, this guy's like a spiritual reactor rod. And when people saw him, they were astonished and a little intimidated. You know, whoa, he's glowing, all right? But what we don't realize is that after a while, this glory would gradually fade away. You know, how many of you have gone to church on Sunday, got all charged out, up, and then by Thursday or Friday have kind of like faded? And you, okay, it's Monday. I know how it is. It doesn't take long. So we kind of relate to this. And so Moses didn't want to, the people to see the fading glory. So he put a veil over his face to cover up the fading glory. And... Uh, and so that's what he did. In Exodus 34, we read about this. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with God, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he'd been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak to the Lord again. He didn't want them to know that he was losing it, that it was fading. And we can really relate to this. Glory is a really big concept. We really we can't wrap our head around it. Okay. Usually, uh, it's, it's associated with brilliant, dazzling, resplendent, blinding light that reveals, reveals and reflects God. You know, glory. The Old Testament calls it Shekinah glory. It's just brilliant. But really, the idea of glory is broader than that. It's bigger. It covers more area. It's really anything that reveals and reflects the glory of God. And so like a sunset is glorious. It reveals God. You go out and it's things that make us look and, go, and we go, wow. <sighs> How many have gone on to sunset? And it's like, man, it's glorious. It reveals God. And so does all creation. And so do the mountains. So do the oceans. How many have been to the ocean? And these things, they, there's, there's, there's a glory to them that reveals and reflects God. And we just like, yeah, that's pretty cool. There's something attractive, something appealing, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. Man, you know, possesses a glory that reveals and reflects an aspect of God, and it's a glory, and we go, wow. Woman has a glory about them that reflects and reveals God, and it's glorious. When God created man, he created them male and female, because it took both of us to reflect the true nature of God, and there's glory there. All creation, us, is meant to reveal that glory, and we have a yearning for it. We have a desire for it. And whatever glory is, it's attractive. It draws us. It's appealing, captivating, mesmerizing, thrilling, exciting, alluring. And we have this deep desire innate in our heart for it. We want to experience it. We want to possess it. We want to have it. But sin has ruined it. When sin entered the world, it destroyed our God connection, and all of a sudden we find our glory that we were created with fading. It's going away. And sin destroys it. Romans 3.23, for all sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. And the sad fact is, whatever glory we see in creation or possess in our persons as a man or a woman or whatever, it's going away and it's fading. And the best way we see this is in our physical bodies. I hate to use this because, you know, we're all born, beautiful babies, well, most of us. And, uh, and, and so, you know, our bodies are healthy and it's like, this is cool. You know, when you're young, vigorous, strong, we're invincible. It's a glory that reflects God. And, you know, and it's beautiful. Some of us are more beautiful than others or handsome than others, but it doesn't matter because there comes a point where everybody, everybody starts experiencing the fade point, Right? So, uh, you know, the most beautiful person in the world is going to look about the same as the rest of us at a certain point in their history. It's fading. And what do we do? We go to great lengths to put a veil over it, to cover it up, to hide it, because we don't want to look bad. We don't want to look... What did, so here's the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve in the garden. And when sin entered, what was the first thing they did? They covered up. They covered up the fading glory. We have another word for fading glory. It's called shame. We want to just cover that up. We don't want anybody to see it. And, uh, but it, there's, no, there's no stopping it, right? We're going to lose that external glory, and it's going to get us. But we have a hope, a sure hope, a genuine hope. We have a hope for restoration of a glory that far outshines anything we've experienced in this life. And this hope, this glory can never be taken away. You with me so far? That's what, so that's what we're leading up to here. Now look at verse 15 in chapter 3. Paul says, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. Now he's talking, the veil is, he's talking about the majority of the Jewish people here, especially the Jewish leaders He's talking about a veil that was closing them off to God. It wasn't a physical veil. It was another kind of veil. And it's a veil we struggle with too. And one of the ways we try to cover up our fading glory is by trying to be law-abiding Christians. We try to be good people. We try to look good by following the rules and doing all the good external things that Christians are supposed to do. We try to look good. And in doing so, we think we're hiding the fading glory, but the problem still exists underneath, doesn't it? I mean, God, look at it, be honest. We come here and we all seem to be good, but each one of us have issues because of sin. There's a fading glory, we're embarrassed by it, we don't want to talk about it, but it's there and we all know it. And see, it's the veil. As long as that veil's there, we got a problem. We're not going to be experienced this new glory. And this is a problem the Corinthians struggled with. They evaluated their glory by externals. And you read through First and Second Corinthians, you know, their externals were like, who baptized them? I'm better than you because so-and-so baptized me. Or uh, their spiritual gifts. I have these gifts. I'm glorious. Yeah. Or how much money they had or what they wore. Or their openness and acceptance to others, even when others were sleeping with their family members. It was messed up. But they took glory in that. It was, it was bad. So Paul is trying to get them to do some adulting by understanding what true glory is and by shifting their frame of reference. He wanted them to take the veil away and experience something that was far deeper and far life-changing and far more glorious 
that would actually help them experience God and reflect Christ. Now, let's look at our passage here, the second part of our passage. And this is the part I really like, and this is the foundational part to our mission statement. Look what he says in verse, starting with verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, uh, and, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's amazing. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow. Notice verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is pretty dang cool because in Christ, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to look good. I don't have to be worried about appearing to be a really good pastor because you're going to get what you get. Because I know that the only way you're going to see Jesus is by seeing who I really am. So I, I really, I, if I unloaded everything on you, you'd run for the doors. So I'm kind of, they call it appropriate self-disclosure. And so I try to be appropriate. But I, you guys know that I'm not all that. And if you don't know it, Mike will tell you. I'll tell you about you. We share each other's secrets. And so, and that's how it is. And it's wonderful. It's freeing. I don't have to lie. I don't have to pretend. And so when you come to Christ, the veil is taken away. If I want it to be taken away, I, there's still times I want that veil to be there. There's still times I don't want you to see. I don't even want myself to see. And that's the worst part of the veil is the veil that keeps us from seeing our own issues, our own hurts and hangups and habits. That's why we have a recovery meeting. It's for those of us who start to see, man, I've got problems and I need a group for this. And so we have our, our believers in recovery meeting on Tuesday nights. And so the veil can be taken away, and I don't have to be concerned about impressing others. What I really become concerned about is what I look like to God. But look at verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit here. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. God the Father is that part or that entity of God who's above and outside our existence and our system and our cosmos. He, could, he just... You know, we can't even fathom that. He's eternal, immortal, invisible, and he's just above all. And God, the Son, Jesus, is the channel through whom that outside God has come into our world and into our experience and into the world and into our lives. He's the connection. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. And God, the Spirit, is God who is among us, who is in the world and is inside our hearts. It's God at ground zero right here. And that's what he's talking about. When we come to Jesus, the Spirit comes in and he lights things up. We experience God because the God out there has come to us through Jesus and is now in here in the Holy Spirit. And that changes things. That changes things big time. Because when we experience God's Spirit, we experience freedom. But freedom from what? Now, the typical answers would be freedom from sin, okay? Freedom from death or the fear of death, yeah. Freedom uh, from control of the devil or Satan, yep. We, and, you know, those are all really powerful. We could preach sermon series in each one of those, but the ultimate thing we need freedom from is ourselves because that's where the real battle lies. In Romans 8, Paul talks about this. He says, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit 
and his life in peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. When we have the Spirit, we are free from the control of our old nature. I still can obey it. I can still follow it. It still dings me, but I have choices now that I didn't have before, and I can take another path when I listen to the Spirit. Freedom. We're free, but we're not just free from something. We're freed to something, to become something, okay? I was at a grief and trauma workshop this week, and it was really good. I got me rethinking. We probably need to do something about that here because he talked about how we all have big traumas and little traumas that deeply affect our life and keep us stuck in our old nature. And I, man, but he told this story about this researcher, science, you know, scientist researcher who conducted really unethical experience, uh, experiments with animals. And this bugged me. I, I'm going to bug you with it too because it, it's, you know, uh, the guy would take dogs put them in metal cages, and electrify the floor. I, you know, why are you just wanted to, and so these dogs are be, basically being tortured, and so here they are in these cages, and he wanted to see what they'd do. And so, of course, they would jump, but after a short time, the dogs would do what they called a surrender response. They would resign them to it, and they would just hold still and just suffer through it. Some of the dogs even laid down. They, they just become resigned to the pain, the torture, the misery, the, the, the terribleness of it, okay? The shocking, pardon the pun, the shocking thing about it was that the next part of the experiment, they would open the cage, electrify the floor, and the dogs would not jump out. They stayed there. And that struck me because that really captures the nature of our bondage the nature of our captivity and sin. We become used to it. We resign ourselves to it. This is why abuse victims stay in abusive relationships. This is why it's so hard for us to give up things that are hurting us. We become used to the, the misery, the fear, the pain, the sh- you name it. We become used to it. Even when the cage is open, because here's what God did. When God sent Jesus, he opened the cage. He opened the cage. We preach it all the time. So why don't we jump out of the cages? There's something in us that needs to change. And the exciting thing about this this passage is that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he does a work on our life, he takes the veil away, we begin to look around, we begin to look up, and we say, I don't have to live like this anymore. And he begins moving us to climb out of our cages and experience a new life outside our cages. Amen? That's what he's describing here. That's what he's describing. Look at verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Wow. First, in order to live with the spirit, we have to continually keep our faces unveiled and be honest with God with each other about our issues because we all again all have hurts hang-ups and habits and 
I got to be honest with you. We all struggle with this. I struggle with this. There's times I want to put the veil on. There's still issues in my life, which I cover up. And so I go to, my, I go to recovery groups and more than just in our church. I've got people I talk to and I say, all right, this is the truth about what's going on with me this week or today. Because I don't want that veil back. So I talk about it with others. That's how I handle it. I think that's how, not just to God, but to others. God with skin on. And, uh, and that changes things. So we need to keep the veil off. And you know, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, by the way, he, is the, he turns the lights on. The Holy Spirit turns the lights on and he, he forces me to see things I want to look at. But you can resist it. I can shut my eyes and you can do that. But man, it's a pain. It's just better to go, okay, Lord, I see that. What do you want me to do now? So that happens. In John, 1 John, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. As we walk in the light, as we take the veil off, as we let the Holy Spirit turn the light on, he is able to purify us from our issues. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But there is something else we have to do to live in the Spirit. Go back to verse 18, and it says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. Notice where Paul tells us to put our focus. He says we're to contemplate the Lord's glory. That means to think about it. Think about it a lot. Not just once a week on Sunday morning. Okay? We're talking about daily. We're talking about all the time. And uh, as we focus on the image of Jesus... It transforms us. I don't have, I don't have to work at being good. I, don't, I just, all of a sudden, I want to do this. I naturally find myself doing the right thing to the point where I don't feel proud about it. I, I don't know why I did it. It just, it just seemed the right thing and the smart thing and the thing I want to do. And I don't want recognition for it. Heck, it's all good. And, uh, and again, we're not talking, and, and we start transforming. We become glorious. Not outwardly, obviously, but inwardly, we become beautiful, attractive people who reflect Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. There's a number of ways we can focus on Jesus. Of course, Bible reading. You hear us thumping that a lot. Read your Bible keep, on a daily basis. Prayer and meditation, not, you know, all the time. I think meeting together. And sharing, talking about the Bible, talking about Jesus does it. And of course, we have worship. And worship singing and worship music. And how many listen to worship music during the week? And how many have, man, that's, what we're, that's powerful. And so there's things we can concretely do to contemplate the Lord's glory. And it does, in fact, change us. And I need to take time each day throughout my day to think about Jesus. So, you know, the question is, who do I constantly listen to? What do I constantly watch? What am I always thinking about? Write it down, and you're going to find, you're going to take your temperature, you're going to find out what's really going on in your life, because if you're focusing more on this stuff and this thing and listening to this, and, you know, you're not going to experience the transformation. We have to focus on the Lord. And I want you to especially notice in this passage, it's not a one-time shot. It's not like a vaccine where you take that doesn't work. Um, you know, it's not something you do once or twice in your life or even a few times. It's continual and ongoing. It's daily, sometimes hourly. And for me, sometimes been moment by moment in those times. 
If I'm going to get out of my cage, I need to look up, not just once a week, but every day throughout my day. And that's why Paul's going to say in the next chapter, I'm gonna, and Mike's going to talk about this next week. But this is a perfect verse to close on. But this is what he says in chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that primarily is Jesus. Amen? Let's all be standing for a closing word of prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for this message of hope we have and help each of us walk out of this place today and focus on you and experience your glory because it's so much better than the life we had before. And may we reflect you not just as individuals, but as a community, and may others come to experience this good news in their lives as we reflect you to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.